because what God does is a reflection of who he is. He heals because he is the healer. He provides because he is the provider. He fathers the orphan because what? He is the father. He says, don't stop short and be satisfied with the natural, that we're stuck in the superficial. We're so concerned about how Jesus will meet our physical need that sometimes we're not paying attention to the deeper spiritual need that only he can satisfy. Hey guys, welcome back to The Andrew Oman Show. Do we have a show for you? Okay, if you know, you know what I'm talking talking about. If you probably grew up in a Christian home, you know, you know that intro. Do we have a show for you? That is a VeggieTales intro. But you know, regardless, I'm so happy that you've connected today. Don't forget to like this episode, subscribe to the channel, you know, rate it on Apple Podcasts or whatever po- platform you're listening to, and all that good stuff. Hey, I want to remind you. Last week we spoke about the rope of Scripture please go watch or listen to that episode as it will give you great context for what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, But just to briefly summarize the episode, we talked about the movie 13 Lives. Fantastic. Incredible. Like I couldn't, I cannot recommend that enough. You got to check it out. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, The incredible, it was about the incredible rescue of the 12 boys and their soccer coach who were trapped 2,500 meters inside a flooded cave system. Yeah, not a good day. Uh, It was a team of, I believe it was about five or six scuba divers. Yes, it was five, I think. Uh, Scuba divers that did the impossible by rescuing them. I... Like like I've told you, I can't promote this movie enough. You got to go watch it. In order to not get lost as they navigated through the cavern, they set up a rope tied from the very beginning. So they tied it to, to a rock at the very beginning of the cave system so that way they wouldn't get lost. The rope gave them direction and security, something to hold on to. Whenever the rainstorms began and it, it was causing strong currents to push them and, and they had to work against those currents when the only way that they could do that is by holding on to something as they swam forward because they were like diving deep. It was it's crazy, especially in the darkness of those flooded caves because I don't know if you've ever been in a pitch black place, but it, when it pitch black, it pitch black. You can't you can't really see anything. Well, using this illustration, we spoke about how scripture is our rope, the rope that gives us direction, security. When the cultural currents come in, we're able to swim counter the current, which remember, counter current generation. This is a quick plug there. Join the CC generation. That is countercurrentgeneration.com, which is actually ccgeneration.com. So you can join the movement. We're super excited of the things that we're doing there. We got some events coming up. So you want to join the movement. That way you're the first one to hear about them. So whenever the cultural currents and trends come, we're able to actually swim counter those currents because we're holding on to the rope of scripture. That's what brings us and gives us security. Well, I want you to know that every time I record an episode, because I kind of felt like I needed to share this, every time I record an episode, I I preach it to myself first. What does that mean? It means that whatever I want to share, it challenges me personally first, like to go deeper in my faith. Like I'm not going to encourage you to hold on to the rope of scripture if I'm not doing so myself. 
In fact, more often than not, episodes that I do come out of something that God is working in me personally, something that he's showing me personally, something that he's saying, hey, Andrew, you got to go deeper in the word. And as I as I kind of dive into what I believe God is speaking to me, listen to this, it's not what is God speaking through me for someone else? No, no, no. It's more like what is God speaking to me for me? My desire is to share it with you. Now, again, I don't, I'm not coming from a place of like, look at me, I got, I got this whole thing figured out. No, instead it's more like, hey, here's what I believe God is speaking to me. And maybe, maybe not, but maybe this will speak to you as well. And let's kind of walk this process together. Maybe it doesn't apply to you. That's totally fine because we might be in different stages and life stages. That's fine. But I'm willing to bet that I'm not the only person who wants to take their faith seriously and wants to live authentically in truth. I want you to take this analogy of the rope of Scripture one step further, I guess deeper, if we will continue using the swimming and the diving puns. Uh, you see, our identity is to be the countercurrent generation. And this obviously goes hand in hand with how how do we live as a countercurrent generation? Because one thing is talking about it, right? One thing is just listening to a podcast. But the other thing is what happens on Monday? Like, how is this going to actually affect your daily life? practically. Well, in in order for the rope to be any good, it must be tied to something secure, sturdy. Obviously, if it was tied to a little pebble, that ain't going to be no good. If, and and I say this, and I hope that I'm, um, I'm communicating myself correctly. If scripture, you know, wasn't tied to something, or let's just say the rope wasn't tied to anything sturdy, it is not good. So if we're holding on to the scriptures, the reason we're holding on to the scriptures is because the rope of scripture is tied to the anchor who is Jesus. If you're familiar with scripture, you might recognize the phrase anchor of our hope or that word anchor. I want to just study this in order to understand its full meaning and give context to the to the rest of the episode. This phrase can be found in Hebrews chapter 6. Let's, let's start in verse 17, okay? So listen to this. At this point, the author of Hebrews has already spoken about God giving a promise to Abraham. And that promise was that through him, all the families, through his seed, and it's very specific, not just through his seed as his general people and descendants, but it was singular talking about Jesus. Through his seed, all of the nations of the world would be blessed. Now we pick it up in verse 17. It says, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to his heirs of what he promised, listen to this, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, so that's one, we who have fled to take hold, listen to this, hold to what? Of the hope set before us may greatly encourage us. And this actually says, take hold of the anchor of our hope set before us. The author is talking about God's promise. That's ultimately being Jesus. You see, the scripture points to Jesus. The revealed word of God, meaning the written word of God, points to the incarnate word of God himself. And this is crucial to understand. It might sound like Christianity basics, like, well, yeah, duh, and Jesus is important, right? That's why Jesus is the answer to every Sunday school question. I get that. But I think if you bear with me, you're going to 
grasp a deeper understanding. Like I feel like I'm coming to grasp it. Not quite there yet, but I feel like God is showing me something deep here. This is why this is important to understand. If we want to take our faith deeper, it begins by taking a step back in reflecting on our heart's possession. Uh, Not possession, but position. I want more than knowledge. I don't know you. Maybe I think you might be like me. I want more than knowledge. I want revelation that brings transformation. I don't want to just listen to a podcast or go or listen to a preaching just for the sake of wanting to learn more information. No, I want transformation for my life. So when I read scripture, my question is a deeper question than did I do my scripture of the day? No, my question is, God, how can I know you deeper? What does this scripture say about who you are? What does it say about who I am? Because our goal as Christians is to be more Christ-like. If if you're needing some direction in your life right now, if you've been praying to know God's will for your life, what if you started with this? Be more like Christ. Sounds kind of obvious, but like, let's be honest, sometimes we... I'm the first one to say that you get so caught up with with like, Lord, what is the specific purpose of my life? What are you calling me to do specifically? Look, all that is important. God will guide you. But why don't we start by doing the most important thing, which is being like Christ? And this is why we hold on to to the robe of scripture, because it points us to Christ. Look, I promise that this is not just a play on the words like, oh, you're just saying rope and scripture and Christ and it's just semantics. No, no, no. We aren't playing with just illustrations. Our heart's posture must be surrendered to Christ. The author of Hebrew writes something powerful. He says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. So right now he's talking about the Old Testament. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the universe, right? So that connects to John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God, and through him, right, all things came into being that came into existence. So that's what the author of Hebrews is confirming here. Then in verse 3, he says, the son is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Why is this important? Because in our culture, there can be a temptation to just pick out lessons from scripture, but kind of leave Jesus a little out of it. You, you see this with people, and I'll give some examples a little bit later, people who might be just um, like atheists, but they're, th- they're Old Testament scholars or New Testament scholars, but they're, they're atheists or they're skeptics or they're agnostics. So they might take the lessons of the Bible, the lessons of leadership or life morals and, and everything that's very important, but they leave out the central part of our faith. Our central part of our faith is not knowledge. It is found in the person of Jesus Christ. This is interesting. Gandhi, and I might be paraphrasing this, but I believe Gandhi once said that when it came to the fact if Jesus actually existed or not, like the person of Jesus, for him it was irrelevant. He said, for me, the sermon of the the mount lives in me. 
regardless if Jesus lived or not, but his his morals and his teachings were were amazing and, and, and were true. I think a lot of times we can be a little bit like Gandhi, where we're like, I don't know if Jesus lived or not, but his lessons are really good. His his morals are, are really good. Yeah, it's kind of important to focus on Jesus, not just his lessons. Like that's that's all really important, but it's crucial that we understand that the central point in our faith is not knowledge. It, it is found in the person of Jesus. I remember a few years ago, I came back from church one Sunday and I was listening to a recent sermon by Pastor Robert Morris. And he was talking about soaking in the presence of God. Have you ever listened to like a podcast? Maybe you're doing this right now with my podcast or, or like maybe a preaching and you're listening, but you're not really listening, right? Like you're just listening while doing other things. So you're not quite paying so much attention. Well, this wasn't the case with this one because everything that Pastor Robert was talking about really resonated deeply. And I remember sitting on my chair uh, that I have in, in my room, actually this one in my studio right here. And I was telling God, Lord, I, I want more of you. Like I want to go deeper. And in that moment, I I heard him very clearly inside. And maybe you've had a similar experience when the Holy Spirit kind of speaks to you. And and I felt like he told me, Andrew, here's the thing. You used to seek me, but now you just read about me. Yeah, that let's just say that hit me pretty hard. (laughs) And I'm not exaggerating. He said, you used to seek me, but now you just read about me. This hit me deep. You see, I love reading books. I'm a big proponent of that. I love learning and acquiring knowledge. However, my focus had changed. It was now more about learning about him than actually seeking Jesus. It was more like, how much Bible knowledge can I learn? How many apologetics arguments can I learn? How much about how the science proves God's existence? How much can I learn? And I love all of that, huge proponent of that. But my focus had changed. And it was more learning about him than actually seeking him. Because let's be honest, cultivating a relationship takes work. That's what it is with God. It takes work. It takes dedication, devotion, sacrifice. It takes a little bit more work than just reading a book. So this is why I'm doing this episode. Because It's not like I'm doing it, oh, because I'm bored and let's just pick a random topic. No. Because although it is important to read and and know knowledge, I feel like God wants to take us deeper. That's why Jesus came. There's a conversation in John 5 and John 6 that I believe will be enlightening to what we're talking about right now. In John 5, Jesus heals the paralytic man. The Pharisees then are debating with him and challenging him for breaking the Sabbath. But Jesus then tells them something that gets them very upset. He says in verse 17, my father's working until now, and I am working as his reason to heal on the Sabbath. He's like, hey, my dad ain't going to stop working and healing, so I won't. Well, then John writes in the next verse, he says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus then goes on to affirm even more explicitly his relationship with the father and the authority that he has. I mean, when you got a chance, this is this different topic, but read verses Chapter 5, verses 19 through 29. Yeah, Jesus, no joke. Like as an example, verse 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my words and believes him who has sent me 
um, has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. I mean, right there, he's making himself the judge. There are just some huge, huge things that Jesus says in in that kind of chunk of verses. So check those out. But for the sake of our topic, let's jump to verse 39. In verse 39, here's where where I kind of just want to park for a bit. He's saying how he does not bear witness about himself. He says that his his miracles bear witness. His The Father bears witness. John the Baptist is a witness. Then he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. So now he's saying, John the Baptist is a witness. The healings are a witness. The Father himself is a witness. And scriptures bear witness about me. And then listen to these sobering words. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Whoa. So he's saying, you seek the scriptures to find life, but they bear witness about me, but you won't come to me to get life. Man, I mean, that's that almost sounds like when God, I felt like Holy Spirit was telling me, you used to seek me, but now you just read about me. See, Scripture bears witness about Jesus. It points us to Jesus, but even reading Scripture, it seems like, you you and I still have the decision that we can refuse to come to Him so that we may actually have life. See, this is what I try to tell the youth at my church all the time. Guys, church is supposed to bear witness to Jesus. Youth group is supposed to bear witness to Jesus. Your life and my life, we're supposed to point to Jesus, but youth group in itself ain't going to really give you life that you need. The life-changing life, the life that brings you back from the dead. That is not youth group. Youth group is just bears witness to the one who does. So you can come every Wednesday and every Sunday with a closed heart and refuse to come to Jesus for life. Whoa. I don't know for you, but that that's a bit heavy for me. I mean, here's a good question. And I ask myself this as well. Are there things in life, in your life right now and in my life, that are meant to witness about Jesus, but we merely stay there and don't go the step further to actually go to Jesus? You're like, ¿Qué dijo? Okay, what do you mean, Andrew? How does this work practically? Well, I'll tell you personally. For me, it looked like reading a lot of apologetic books, but not cultivating a devotional life of prayer. That's what it looked like for me. For me, it looked like reading the Bible to prepare for a teaching on the Wednesday night youth groups instead of actually soaking in the word for my own sake. That's what it looked like for me. How does it look like for you? I heard a good phrase that said, supplements don't make good substitutes. Meaning there are things that are supposed to supplement your faith, but not substitute key areas of our faith. For example, if you serve in church a lot, it can be very easy to take what is a supplement of our faith, meaning serving and service, and make it a substitute for our personal devotion life with Christ. Look, I, I say this from personal experience. So here is Jesus speaking to a group of people who are, quote unquote, experts in, in scripture. And it's interesting to me that he that the word here is you refuse. I mean, that's like a little intense. Jesus like, yo, Jesus, how do you even know? Like, maybe they're busy. Like, maybe they're they're searching. Like, you refuse? That's a little bit strong wording there. 
It sounds pretty strong, at least to me. Well, in the King James, it actually says, uh, let's read the King James. Search the scriptures, for in them ye seek ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify about me. And ye will not come to me that ye might have life. I'm pretty sure that's <laughs> how the King James sounds like. All right, no, more like, I think the King James probably sounds, search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are ye, oh, dude, this is, so, this is like a tongue twister, bro. And they are they which testify about me, and ye will not. So it doesn't say you refuse, but it says will not come to me. Well, that word actually for will in the Greek is, is the word for thelo, which can or thelo, which can imply you've determined. So it's even stronger than just refuse. Like, you've determined not to come to me. There, Oh my gosh, there's just so much that could be impacted here. But this explains the power of our free will. You and I, we don't have to go to Jesus. Like, you and I have the freedom to forget church. I'm not going to church. I'm not reading my Bible. I'm not, I'm not pursuing Jesus. I'm not going to Jesus. Um, we have the free choice to do so. My prayer, though, is, God, may I never refuse. May I never determine myself and be so determined to go to you for something. May I never refuse to go to Jesus. There are some that are have a lot of biblical knowledge, yet refuse and are determined not to go to Jesus. You have many, like I mentioned, atheist New Testament scholars or Bible scholars. They got a lot of knowledge, even some theists, as in they believe in a supernatural being, yet they refuse to go to Jesus. This is why like, I love apologetics. I'm a huge proponent of apologetics, but ultimately there's not like one single argument that will transform someone's life because at the end of the day, it's a heart issue. It's not a head issue when, when believing in Jesus. So at the end of the day, the person has the choice. So there will be people that will not believe no matter how much argument you give them until they make the choice to open their heart. But with a closed heart, my, my friend, with a determined heart, we can refuse to go to Jesus. But my encouragement to you is maybe you find yourself in the situation of making supplements substitutes. My encouragement to you is go to Jesus. And maybe you say, well, Andrew, I already feel like I have a pretty good devotional life. Dude, that's amazing. Continue that. Don't lay back and start making supplements substitutes. Continue that life of devotion. Or, or maybe right now you're totally unsure about this whole talk about going to Jesus. You're, you're asking yourself, I mean, what does this even mean? Well, maybe you have just begun reading the Bible. And I gotta tell you, congratulations, that's amazing. Here's the main point. If you can summarize everything is do not determine in your heart not to go to Jesus. Do not close your heart preemptively to whatever Jesus wants to do in your life. Have an open heart, not a gullible heart, but an open heart. One that says, okay, God, I will lead. I will go where you lead. I will go where the truth leads me because I, I guarantee you, if you have an open heart, Jesus will meet you. You know, a chapter later, Jesus continues this theme that he has started in chapter five. John six, John recounts 
the feeding of, of at least, you know, 5,000 men, 10,000, 15,000 people, if you count women and children. Then Jesus walks on water, something insane, right? Small flex, no big deal. After that, Jesus and his disciples had crossed to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And some people that he had fed previously, you know, and among the 15,000 people or 10,000 people, uh, they found them. And that's is when Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. Oh gosh, this is about to get good. Are y'all ready? I'm ready. Uh, here we go. They start talking about miracles in that moment in the work of God. And, but Jesus is, is like, you guys aren't getting this. Um, let me take you a little bit deeper. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread of heaven, but my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he, interesting, he said he and not what, he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. It's so funny how they respond. They're like, sir, give us this bread. May I have some bread, please, sir? Just some more bread. I'm like, okay, did you not listen? Like he said, he, the bread of, the bread of God is he, not what? And then you're saying, give us this bread? Jesus is like, bro, like you don't get this? And then, and then Jesus is like, you know what? I'm gonna make it plain. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Whoa. Okay. Okay, I, I hope you're with me, man. I hope you're with me. I know we're about 24 minutes or so into this episode, but I hope you're with me. Check this out. What he's saying is this. Guys, the bread was only a witness to me. The living bread. So the bread I fed you with was only a pointer to who I am. He heals because he is the healer. He provides because he is the provider. He fathers the orphan because what? He is the father. He says, don't stop short and be satisfied with the natural. Because I've been like these people many times that were stuck in the superficial. We're so concerned about how Jesus will meet our physical need that sometimes we're not paying attention to the deeper spiritual need that only he can satisfy. Am I, am I the only one who asked God for his blessings? I mean, I can't be the only one, right? Maybe you did that this morning. You woke up and you say, God, I thank you for your blessing today. Even people who aren't like super religious, depending on how they grew up, maybe they grew up in the Catholic household, but they're not practicing or anything like that. They, they sometimes pray, right? At least in the Hispanic world. Ay, Padre Diosito, te, te pido por tu bendición. Te, pido, te pedimos, you know, right? We ask you for your blessing. I pray that my baseball team would win. Oh, I pray that I wouldn't get hurt. I pray that my college, I would go to college. I pray that that my gym goals would, would turn out how I want. You know, we just, just kind of pray a little bit arbitrarily about God's blessing on our lives. And oh, I pray that I, we would have a good day for work. Hey, oh, that's great. I'm not saying it's bad, but could it be that maybe some of us, could it be that some of us are more interested in the bread that Jesus can provide rather than the actual living bread himself? Yeah, I'm gonna let that one sink in. <clears throat> Yeah, I've been there. I believe it is a life that stops short when the only thing we pray for is for God's blessing, just for his bread. God is waiting for you in deeper waters. 
because it's almost like God reveals himself in, in, in levels of relationship. God is saying, I got so much more for you. You're, you ain't even ready for this. I'm just asking you to go a little deeper. He wants to give you of himself. Like, why did Jesus come in the first place? Why not just stick with, the, with, with what, what, what has been written? No, no, it's just that he spoke to us through himself. And why did Jesus call himself the living, the bread of life? Why? Because that is his desire to give of himself to you. Like, do you know why Jesus said that he who comes to him will never hunger? Sounds kind of weird, but because he is the bread of life himself. Like Jesus is self-sufficient. Our satisfaction comes from him alone. And when he becomes our satisfaction, we ain't never going to get rid of Jesus. Like Jesus is always going to be there. He's always, he's self-sufficient. He doesn't rely upon anybody or anything. He's God. James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift come from above, coming down from the Father of heaven and lights, who does not change like a shifting shadow. Any blessing that God gives, it is to point you back to him. And I hope that I'm expressing this correctly because we live in a materialistic world. We live where we're, we're very tempted by material stuff. And look, material stuff is not necessarily evil. You want a nicer car? Get a nicer car. Like, that's cool. If it fits a bit within the budget, dope. Just let's not make idols of things either. It can be easy to make idols out of the blessings that God has given us when those blessings were just supposed to point us back to him. I've been there. My question is, are you there? Maybe you're not. That's great. But I encourage you to go a little bit deeper in your heart, like I am doing with mine, and ask God, is there an area of my life where I have turned a blessing into an idol? And instead of going to you, I have stuck with the blessing that you've given me when it was supposed to point me back to you and take me deeper into a relationship with you. You know, I, I told you about that time I felt God told me that I was no longer seeking him, just reading about him. Now, if I compare, that was a few years ago. If I compare my relationship with him now to then, obviously not perfect. And like we talked about, there's so much more. I know I have gone deeper with God. And it's not a magic formula. I haven't just employed a, well, just wake up at this time and pray this much time. And blah, blah, blah. You know, no, 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 it's not, it's not rocket science. It's a relationship. In relationships take time, it takes effort, it takes devotion, it takes sacrifice. But if you have an open heart, that's the key. There's no limit to how deep you can know God. I encourage you to share this episode with a friend, and we'll see you in the next episode of The Andrew Amash Show.